The resurrection from the dead is a core doctrine. It is a foundational teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, without the resurrection of the dead, the gospel would not be good news. It is essential. And it is essential to the hope of you going to heaven. Now, the climactic point of the ministry of Jesus was not his excruciating death on a cross. It is pivotal. It is monumental. But that is not the end of the story, is it? The climactic point of the ministry of Jesus, the great work our Lord and Savior did, is his resurrection. Is his resurrection from the dead on that third day, just like he said he would do. Our Lord, our Savior, our King lives. He lives. And he lives forevermore. And it is for that reason, every day, every second of the day, he is able to intercede for you at the right hand of your heavenly Father. Because your Lord and my Lord, Jesus Christ, was raised up on the third day, just as God planned and foretold. The power of Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate declaration that Jesus, a descendant of David, is the Son of God. All the other miracles are building up to this climactic moment when that event declares, finally, without question, he is the Son of God. Now, Jesus' resurrection is not the first visible evidence that there is such a thing as a resurrection from the dead. His resurrection is not the first time that tells us and shows us that a resurrection from death is possible, and, and there is that promise for us as well. For example, during the ministry of Jesus himself, Jesus demonstrated already the power that he possessed over death. For example, Luke records for us in Luke chapter 7 about how Jesus raised up a widow's son. It was, the only, it was the only son and only child. And he sees the funeral procession and he stops there and he raises him from the coffin right there. Luke also records for us in the next chapter about how he raised up the daughter of a man named Jairus. But near the end of his ministry, in John 11, he raises up Lazarus. So if you will, open your Bibles, your New Testaments, to John 11. And we're going to read those verses, verse 38 through 44, as we get into our lesson this morning. John 11, verse 38 through 44. So Jesus, again, 
being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around the cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus here shows in an amazingly powerful way that he possesses, he holds the keys of death and of Hades. Revelation describes Jesus as the great one who has those keys. He's the one who has the keys to death. He has the one who has the keys of Hades. And Jesus, on this particular event, as well as the others, clearly demonstrates he holds those keys. No matter how many days, no matter how long you've been dead, Jesus has the keys. No matter how long your spirit has been gone from your body, Jesus holds the keys to death. And no matter if the body is already decomposing and is decomposed, death has no obstacle to Jesus. Death binds us. Death binds us. It holds us where we do not want to be. We don't want to be dead. None of us do. And death is a binding. It binds and holds us where we do not want to be, where we do not want to go. We don't want to end up in Hades. And we're talking about Hades is not hell. It's simply the place of death where the spirit goes when it leaves the body. We were created for life. We were not created for death. But we bear this consequences of sin, and so now we all die. But Jesus himself came, and Jesus himself overcame death, his death, and Jesus himself overcame and conquered his death. And so therefore he is the one who has promised us that one day he will abolish death completely for everybody. And we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it talks about how we have the hope of the resurrection because of Jesus Christ, and the day is coming where all will be raised. Everybody's going to be raised, and they will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. 
But when you look at the, the reading of today, where it talks about Jesus calling out Lazarus' name, him coming out, and he comes out bound still in all the grave clothing and garments and wrappings that is associated with that. You know, Jews customarily bound a body in linen wrappings with spices. And so naturally, when you read this, it seems kind of obvious. Okay, he's called them, he, he's raised them from the dead, but he's still wrapped up as if he's dead. And he says, okay, unbind him and let him loose. So naturally, he's, Jesus is going to command the removal of all of that customarily wrappings. Jesus has the power to free us. Jesus has the power to release us from all the things of death, whatever is associated with death. Jesus has the power to release us, to free us, to unbind us from everything that binds us. Our Lord's resurrection not only assures you and me, gives us the confident assurance that we have the hope of the resurrection unto eternal life. His resurrection gives us that hope. But that's not all that the resurrection of Jesus does. The resurrection of Jesus also calls for us to be loosed from the fear of death. Unbind yourself and be free. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14 and 15 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself, that's Jesus, he himself likewise also partook of the same, and through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those to the fear of death who were subject to the slavery, to slavery all their lives. Jesus died not only to propitiate for our sins, Jesus died so he could conquer death and give us the hope of the resurrection. And he died, as he says here, so that you and I would be free from the fear of death. Fear can imprison you. Fear can bind you in such a way that a person is not free, although he's up and about walking, living his life, but he's not free. Fear can do that to you. And the Hebrew writer reminds us, because of what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished, for he is everything to us, he did it to render Satan, the devil, powerless and free those who were enslaved, not just to death, but enslaved to the fear of death. So we need to cast off all the wrappings and all the trappings which come with fearing death. Jesus wants you to live. And he wants you to live every day without being afraid to die. Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid of death. Unbind yourself and be free from that. 
Jesus is the one who can unbind you. He can help you conquer that fear. But you and I are going to have to trust him totally. We're going to have to trust Jesus. And trusting Jesus is going to involve me listening to Jesus and believing what Jesus says. And in turn, obeying what Jesus says. If I'll do that, if I'll do that genuinely, sincerely, from the heart, in faith, Jesus is saying, you can be free. You can unbind yourself from the wrappings of death, such as fear, he says. Because Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that you don't have to be afraid of what is appointed for all of us if the Lord doesn't come back first. But what else binds us in this world? It is the resurrection, resurrection that clearly that unbinds us ultimately of death in the end, but also unbinds us from the fear of death. But also, you think about what Jesus says in Matthew 11, where we are called to unbind ourselves from this world's yokes. Unbind yourself from this world's yokes. Very familiar words, 28 through 30 of the 11th chapter of Matthew, where Jesus says to the audience, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You will not live life without yokes. You will not live life without burdens. Life comes with all kinds of yokes and all kinds of burdens. Everybody right now is wearing a yoke. You're wearing a yoke. Right now, which one is it, though? Which yoke are you wearing? You're going to wear a yoke, and you're going to carry burdens. I think Romans 6, verse 16 kind of touches a little bit on that idea when it's talking about sin primarily, but he says, you are a slave to the one whom you obey. You are a slave to the one whom you obey. You know what, folks? Every one of us in this room and everyone on this earth is under authorities. We are all obeying somebody. We're all under authorities of all different kinds. There are visible authorities and then there are invisible authorities, but we are under authority and we are a slave of the one we have to obey. There's yokes that you have to wear. And there are burdens that you have to bear. 
and the stresses of daily concerns and the stresses of daily cares, even those kind of things can become overwhelming and they can become even at times detrimental, detrimental to our life. But what does Jesus do here in Matthew 11? This invitation to come to Jesus. Jesus offering you and me a better life. He's offering you and me a better life. A life that is not fettered with injustices. A life that's not fettered with cruelty. A life that is not just weighed down terribly with all of life's anxieties. You can unbind yourself from that. You can free yourself from those kind of bindings in your life. But how, Jesus, that's how. Jesus is the solution. You will still wear a yoke and you will still carry some burdens. But our Lord's yoke and our Lord's, our Lord's burdens are far more comfortable they are, they are, his yoke is one that will bring you lasting joy and his burdens are so much more lighter than that which Satan has deceived the masses with. Why is that? Well, one reason, when you contrast the character between Jesus and Satan, Jesus is gentle, Jesus is humble, and Satan is not. If you have a master that is not humble and a master that's not gentle, then you will wear a yoke that is awful and overwhelming and a burden, heavy laden and wearisome. But Jesus offers you something different, a better life that's not fettered like the one without Jesus. And with this yoke, he says, I promise you rest. I promise you rest, and it's a rest that Jesus can give you. And it's a rest that is lasting and refreshing because there is no lasting rest. There is no refreshing rest from what the world offers us is there. Really, think about it. Day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. You labor in vain. And what a wearisome it is, as Solomon pens in the book of Ecclesiastes. But Jesus says, unbind yourself from that. Set yourself free from the yokes of this world. Wear my yoke. It's lighter, it's more comfortable to wear. And at the end of the day, at the end of the labor, there is rest. Colossians 1 speaks of the darkness that exists in this world. As Paul writes to the church, our brethren in Colossae, in this particular epistle, he reminds Christians, saints, what God has done for them. 
Verse 13 and verse 14, he says, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not only do we need to bind ourselves from worldly yokes, we need to unbind ourselves from darkness for a very, very, very long time. Our world has been and still is under the sway of the evil one, the wicked one, Satan. And he has a number of different, you know, schemes or snares or ways that he is able to capture and enslave us. He does his job well. And the world at its present state is a testimony how good the sway of Satan is among the human race. We live in dark times. We live in dark cultures, and we live in dark places. Darkness is the prevailing influence in our world. It's not the only influence. There is a more powerful influence, and there is a greater influence, but right now, darkness is a prevailing influence, pressing down heavenly, heavily, excuse me, on everyone. Lies, unrighteousness, all kinds of evil fill people's lives with darkness. The, you know, this bondage, this burden, this, you know, wrapping and trapping that comes with darkness is implied by a couple exhortations. For example, in Acts 2, when Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel there in Jerusalem, as he urges the people to respond to the call of the gospel, he says, be saved from this perverse generation. Was the world then a dark world? Yes. The Holy Spirit through the apostles says it was a perverse generation. Do we live in a perverse generation today? Yes. It's no different. Or over in Philippians chapter 2 verse 15, where there the context is urging Christians to walk as light, you know, be light in the world. And he says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know, where, where are we called to shine our lights? In the dark. We live in a dark place. We live at a dark time. And yet, through God's Son, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God rescues sinners. God rescues sinners like you and me. And he rescues us from the power of darkness. Unbind yourself from that. Unbind yourself from the darkness that is in this world. Come out from that and, and seek to be free. Don't let the dark control you any longer. Be free from it. Jesus' power is greater. He conquered death, and he conquers darkness. He provides redemption. He is the propitiation. He is the payment. Forgiveness is accessible. 
really is. You know, it's just, it's not just, you know, the imagination of your own thinking. Forgiveness is real. It is accessible. And forgiveness will free us from darkness. In Matthew chapter 9, it's one of the occasions where Jesus performs a miracle. In Matthew chapter 9, it's the occasion where a paralytic is brought to Jesus on this particular occasion. And I just want to you know, point out two statements that Jesus makes on this particular occasion. When he says in verse 2, you know, they brought him this paralytic lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, so sees the demonstration of the faith of those who have brought this paralyzed man. And he says, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. It says it right there, out in the blue. Your sins are forgiven, son. And you drop down because then that creates a bit of a stir among you know, some of the audience present. And then you drop down to verse 6 and it says, Jesus says, so that you may know, so you will know and you can know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So you can know that I have the authority, I have the right, I have the power to do this and say this. He says, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. So you can know, I can, t- I can forgive. He says, I can make a paralyzed man walk. Just like that. That's why a statement such as in John chapter 8, that is so familiar to students of God's word, to Christians, where Jesus is urging those who believe to manifest that faith by following him. Truly. In John 8, verse 31, where Jesus says to Jews who had believed him, he says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You want to be free from darkness? You want to unbind yourself from the, the prevailing darkness of our times? He says, In faith, abide in my word. And you will know the truth, and that truth will free you. It goes on to say in the same context, verse 36, if the Son makes you free, then you are free indeed. If he's freed you, you're free. That's simple. One more application, and lesson will be yours. Unbind yourself from sin's entanglements. Hebrews chapter 12 is an exhortation to Christians to live their life in such a way that truly reflects the fact that they have been set free by the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, the one who conquered death. And he says there in verse 1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sin is deceitful. It's all, it always is, and it will always be. Sin is deceitful. And every time you and I sin, every time we stumble or transgress, in whatever way it is, we've been deceived in that moment. It's deceitful. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are tempting. Ungodly gratification is alluring. And what we need to understand is Jesus can unbind us, Jesus can release us, Jesus can loose us from sin's entanglements in our life. What we understand is the wrappings of sin are laced with spices to cover up the stench of the death that we're in. We need to realize that. But that's not what sin's going to tell you. Sin's going to dress it up, and it's, it's going to you know, appear a whole lot better than what it really is. But we need to understand only Jesus can unbind us from that entanglement of sin. This is true of all sins of all kinds. It doesn't matter what sin you're talking about. Big ones, little ones, and we know in God's eyes there's not, that's not true, but in our eyes it is, isn't it, sometimes? We categorize and we label sins sometimes in certain ways. And so whether you're, it's applicable in the sense of all kinds of impurities, whatever impurity you're thinking about, if it's impure, it's deceitful. And it is, it, it is basically laced with spices so you won't smell the stench of what you're engaged in. It's true of all kinds of ungodly words, our speech, no matter what it is. If it's unchristlike, ungodly, and yet we find ways to sometimes to justify our words. Anger, addictions, resentment, bitterness, partiality, unforgiveness, on and on we could go, could we not? And Jesus says, unbind yourself from that. Free yourself from sin's entanglements. Because sin is an encumbrance. It is a weight. It is a weight that weighs heavenly on a person's life. It is a snare and it is a trap designed to capture and bind. And so that's why the exhortation goes on to say, I believe in the context of Hebrews, he's addressing those who are believers, reminding them to make sure they are putting away all of these encumbrances, all of these entanglements, to free themselves from all of these kind of things. How? He says, by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus. Learn from Jesus how to unbind or cast off the sins that so easily entangle you or so easily entangle me. 
We, you know, we may be different in what particular sins that we wrestle with, but sin is a common factor and temptation is a common factor. And any one of us can get entangled again in it because we can be easily deceived. Sin and death, they bind us. But Jesus has the power to unbind. Jesus has the power to release, to free you and me. When you think about it, in John 11, when Lazarus heard his name, what did he do? What did he do when he heard Jesus call him? He obeyed. That simple. He was dead. His spirit was not in the body. His body is already decomposing. But when he heard Jesus call his name, he came forth alive and was then loosed from death clothing. And all the garments and the pleasantries associated with that, he was freed from that. There is a day coming that all the dead are going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Jesus clearly brings that out in John 5. There's a day that every one of us are going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And we hear him, we're going to be raised from the dead. Every dead person throughout time is going to come back to life and stand before the king to be judged. The question, though, is this. Do you have ears to hear Jesus right now? Do you have ears to hear Jesus right now? Because in reality, Jesus is calling you through the gospel. He is calling you. And do you have the ears to hear him? To listen to what he's saying to you. And in a sense, come forth. And unbind yourself from all the things that are associated with sin and death. Do you have the ears to hear the call of Jesus to come to him and begin to taste of the goodness of his mercy and grace, begin to experience the rest of forgiveness and know that there is, there is even a greater rest one day when you will walk in eternity with your creator. If you're not a Christian, if you've not called, by faith in the name of the Lord and obedience to Jesus Christ, then you're still in sin, dead in sin, and lost. And we want to invite you to hear Jesus. To hear Jesus calling to your heart to respond to him. To believe, confess your faith with your mouth before others, to repent of your sin, and be buried with Jesus 
buried in the watery grave, immersed in water as he commanded, to be raised to walk in newness of life, free, freed, loosed, and released. What a great day that is when a sinner turns to the Lord. If you are a Christian, and maybe there's something in your life that you know about and God knows about that you need to correct. You need to make that right with the Lord. You need to unbind yourself, free yourself from maybe an entanglement of some kind. We want to encourage you to do that today as well. And we can assist you in turning back to him to pray with you and for you. We invite you also. Come forward, make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.